ever have enough bourbon? Not as far as I'm concerned. Therefore, after a quick trip to Glendalough, we are heading straight back to Kentucky, this time to take a tour of Maker's Mark Distillery, virtually. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week, we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time by the best in the industry. When I say tour, I mean tour. Today, the lovely Maddie will guide us through the ins and outs of the Maker's Mark Distillery in Loretto, Kentucky. Discover why Maker's Mark is called Maker's Mark. What's in its mash bill? Why the bottles have their distinctive look and more. Then we'll head over to the bar to make one of Maker's Mark's most popular cocktails and even get yourself a t-shirt from the Lush Life Cocktail Collection. After the episode, make sure to check out alushlifemanual.com where you'll find photos of all the places you're about to visit. But here comes Maddie now. I'm Maddie. I'm a tour guide here at Maker's Mark, and you're here today to take a tour with me to see about our delicious bourbon. Welcome to our distillery. Now this is where all the magic happens. This is where every single drop of Maker's Mark is born. We don't have any other facilities. It's all done here, right on our campus here. But before we get inside, I'm gonna get a little bit into our history with you guys first. So Maker's Mark was founded in 1953 by Bill Samuel Sr. and his wife, Margie. Now Bill Sr. really knew about bourbon. His family was making whiskey for many generations, dating all the way back to their Scottish heritage. Unfortunately, Bill Sr. actually hated the taste of his family's bourbon. He hated it so much, in fact, that he ended up selling it to Heaven Hill, the mash bill, the distillery, everything, and then he actually burned the recipe so he'd never go back to the past. After that, he joined the Navy and was sent to fight in World War II. Now, while he was off fighting the war, his wife Margie took over operations at the family farm, Star Hill Farm. She was so successful at managing that farm that when he came back from the war, Margie told Bill she no longer needed his assistance running the farm and that he needed to find something else to do with his free time. So he decided he wanted to start making bourbon again. But he, like I said, he hated the taste of his family's bourbon. He didn't want to go back to anything that had anything to do with that. So he had to start completely from scratch. Now, he really wanted his bourbon to be nice soft and smooth. He didn't want to have to be able to work to enjoy this bourbon. He wanted you to be able to just sip it and enjoy the sweetness. So first what he needed before he even got started was an actual distillery to make this new bourbon at. He, like I said, sold the family distillery. So he searched around. He found this one up for sale here in the heart of Kentucky. Now the reason why he purchased the property was not because of these historical buildings that were already here but because of our limestone lake that we have out back, that 10 acre spring fed lake is a perfect resource for getting fresh water. It is so pure that we don't need to filter. The limestone does the filtration for us. The water is iron free and very rich in calcium. So we can actually pump directly from the lake right into our cookers. So that is the real reason why Bill purchased the property, but we got lucky with all these historical buildings that we still use today. So, after he purchased the property and started fixing the buildings up, what he needed next, most importantly, was a new mash bill, which is what our recipe is for making that bourbon. Like I said, he didn't want it to taste anything like his family's old recipe, so what he did is he started baking bread. You actually use the same ingredients in a bread recipe that you do for making bourbon, 
So by playing around with different grains and different ratios, he got an idea of how those same grains would hit him on the palate as a finished bourbon. That's why he didn't waste time and resources playing around with a lot of different flavors and waiting for them to age before making his decision. He could make the decision off of the flavor right off the bat. That way he could start making large quantities right away. So he played around with all different recipes. In the end, he decided to cut rye all together out of his mash bill. Bill and Margie both found that rye was just too harsh on their palates, a little bit too spicy. They wanted a sweeter bourbon instead. So they switched over to using wheat, which is a much sweeter, softer grain. In the end, they settled on 70% corn, 16% soft red winter wheat as their flavoring grain, and 14% malted barley. Those are the only three things that go into that mash bill to start making that delicious bourbon. So let's get inside our distillery to see just how we do that. Go ahead and follow me. Alrighty, everybody. So, like I said, this is where everything is made. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna bring those grains in by the truckload. They're gonna go through quality control next door. We're gonna make sure those grains are perfect quality for you guys. After they've been deemed great, we're gonna bring them in here and we're ready to grind them up. Now we get the corn, the software, winter wheat from single source farms right here in Marion County and the malted barley does come out from Milwaukee. So we're gonna grind up the grains in our roller mill to make the starch more readily available for us. The roller mill is able to better um, grind up those grains to make sure that we don't um, grind up the husks of the grains. The husks of the grains are very bitter. There's a lot of proteins in there. If we grind up the husks of the grains, the bitterness will get into our flavor later on, which we do not want. So, roller mill is very great at that. A lot of other distilleries today use hammer mills, which completely pulverizes the grains to a powder-like substance. Hammer mills are very efficient. However, they're not going to um, get, they're gonna get that bitterness in the bourbon, which we don't want, and that's why we use a roller mill instead. So after we grind up all the grains that we need, we're ready to cook. We actually have an atmospheric cooker right over here. We're gonna pump in water directly from that limestone lake, and then we're gonna add in the corn, and then we're gonna bring up the um, that to a boil. Then we're gonna add in the other grains and lower the temperature and cook everything low and slow for about three hours. By cooking it low and slow, we're gonna get that full flavor that we're looking for. After three hours, we're gonna send it to the room next door where we're going to um, actually set it through fermentation. So we're gonna fill up one of those vats in there with the contents of one of those cookers. They are 12 feet wide by 12 feet deep and hold 10,000 gallons of future maker's mark. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna add yeast on top. The yeast job is to eat the sugar that's present in the grains and convert that to CO2 and alcohol. By the end of three days, you get to eight to nine percent alcohol or our distiller's beer. After we get to that point, we're gonna drain the tub, send it over to one of our stills, we're ready to start the distillation process. We have a still right over here. It is six stories tall. We're gonna filter through 16 perforated plates. The mash will be at the bottom where we're gonna heat it up and that will vaporize the liquid in there. That vapor will float up to the top of the still house where we're gonna cool it off and condense it back into a liquid where it's gonna flow down here at 120 proof. That's our low wine. Then we're gonna send it down to the basement. We're gonna distill a second time. It's gonna shoot up here at 130 proof. That's our high wine, that's our white dog. We call it Maker's White, but you guys probably know it as Moonshine. And so we're gonna cut down, put into a barrel, and start the aging process. So to put it simply, first we have to make beer. That beer will be distilled into Moonshine. That Moonshine will be aged into bourbon. So I had a question. So you guys might have noticed the um, world record for the distillery. Yes, it's a very old distillery, but it hasn't always been owned by Maker's Mark. I mentioned that he purchased the property. The buildings were already here. 
It was actually built by the Burks family in the 1800s. They were actually distilling in the family for several generations. During Prohibition, they did have to shut their doors. After Prohibition was lifted, the whiskey industry wasn't doing so well, so they put it up on the market. It sat on the market for quite a while until the Samuels found it and purchased it in 1953 for $35,000. So that was actually not a cheap purchase back then. That was a big sum of money. So that is why he really had to grind down and start making that right away. He had no time to waste. I also had a question about the vats that were in the next room. Those vats date back to the late 1800s. They're made out of American cypress wood. Vats aren't made like that anymore, and we still use those in there. So there's a lot of history behind them. We only have eight of those vats. We have several dozen more stainless steel vats in the back when we add it on to the property. But there's no difference between the batches that are made in the cypress wood vats versus the stainless steel. So now that you guys know a little bit about what goes inside the bottles, I'm gonna talk about the outside of the bottle. So after they were done making that first batch, they taste tested it and realized they had something special going for them. Bill Ted said to his wife, Margie, this is great. We're gonna slap it on a shelf and we're gonna get rich. Margie said, not so fast, Bill. This is a brand new product. Slow down, we're gonna to have to market this first. Bill said, you know what? You can take care of that. I'll take care of the bourbon. So Margie took full creative control over the brand and we are so thankful that she did because without her help, the Samuels probably would have never sold Maker's Mark outside of the state of Kentucky and now it's sold all over the world. So first she came up with the name Maker's Mark. So Margie actually collected English pewter. Stamped on the bottom of English pewter, you're gonna see the mark of the maker. That is what the artist used to mark that handmade item as their own. Now, Maker's Mark is a handmade brand, so she thought that was really fitting, hence the name Maker's Mark. And then she came up with her own mark of the maker. You might have noticed it on the doorway to this distillery there. If you didn't notice it there, you'll see it in other areas throughout the property. The circle with the star is actually the cattle brand that they used on their family farm, Star Hill Farm. The S in the middle stands for Samuels, and the Roman numeral for the IV stands for fourth generation commercial distiller, which um, Bill Sr. was. So they haven't changed it, even though Rob Samuels is now in charge and he is um, sixth generation. So now um, after she had her name, she needed to design those bottles. So she didn't want her bottles to look like every other whiskey bottle that had that squared off shape. She wanted hers to be classy and unique looking. She modeled her bottles after Konak bottles instead that have a more roundish square shape to them and they're also sealed with wax instead. She really liked that colorful wax, really solid as eye-catching, so she chose to do red wax and she really wanted her wax to drip beautifully to really make it stand out on a shelf. So by the way, Margie Samuels was a chemist. She had a chemistry degree from the University of Louisville. She created a polymer out of wax and plastic to perfectly seal those bottles, get those beautiful drips, but also has a high uh, melting temperature. That way it doesn't melt on the trucks during transport, stays nice and cleanly sealed. So, so it was modeled on what sort of bottles? Konak. Konak bottles. What are Konak bottles? Um, it's a type. It's a type of spirit. A type of um, cognac. 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 Mm -hmm. ah, cognac. Mm -hmm. Sorry. That's yeah. what she That's said. how we pronounce it here. So, <laughs> so, yeah. we say everything. Like that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I was like, oh, I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so. She also designed the Maker's Mark font that we still use today, as well as the labeling designs. Now, Margie really wanted to make every single label completely by hand, but Bill told her right off the bat, you know, that's not possible. You're gonna um, have to use a machine to make these. She didn't want to completely have the machine do all the work, so instead they compromised. They purchased two 1930s Chandler and Price die-cut presses to help them with the hand-making process. So they'll print out those labels in sheets. They're gonna feed them into the press, one sheet at a time, pull down a lever, 
um, and that will actually perforate the sheets and at the end of the day they'll sit down and hand tear each and every label apart and that's how we make all of those labels on those two machines and that's not a gimmick we don't have secret machines doing the work for us it's all done in there so we're gonna go in there take a peek at those 1930s machines um, they're no longer made today but they're still going strong while you're in there feel free to grab a sample label as a souvenir so go ahead and follow me actually this era you can really see the touch that margie left and her legacy so she chose the dark brown color. If you look at the um, shutters, they're trimmed with that red color, of course, and they have an imprint of our bottles. They've really paid attention to detail. Margie started inviting her friends and her family to come out here to basically brag about what she was doing here. Uh, her friends are impressed until their friends who told their friends, until people from all over the place were coming here to learn about this new whiskey that we're making. Other distilleries caught wind of our fortune that we're getting from that and actually opened up their own tourism departments as well. And years later, the Bourbon Trail was formed. So thanks to Margie's pushing, bourbon is known all over the world. And back in the 50s, nobody really knew about it. Not that many people cared about it, except really in this little area. And now everybody knows and loves it. So thank you, Margie. So we're gonna head off to our warehouse now. It's also known as a Rick House. So we're gonna see about how that bourbon is aged. So go ahead and follow me. All right, everybody go ahead and take a nice deep breath in. So that beautiful smell in the air, that's called the angel share. So a little bit of this bourbon is evaporating out of the barrels as I speak. It's going up into the heavens for the angels to enjoy. Now, we do lose roughly 20% of our bourbon to the angels, so we make sure they're well compensated up there. And in turn, they give us perfect weather because we actually rely on Mother Nature to age our bourbon for us. You see, when the barrels are hot, they're going to expand. They're going to act like a sponge. They're going to suck the liquid inside into the grains of the wood and hold it there. Then when they get cold, which is kind of happening right now, they're going to contract. They're going to push it back into the middle of the barrel. It's going to do that many, many times over the seasons, like squeezing a sponge until it gets to the flavor that we're looking for. A lot of other distilleries today use climate control to simulate the he heating and cooling processes, but we just let Mother Nature do it for us. In the summertime, they're going to be nice and swollen, and in the wintertime, they're going to be nice and contracted. So, if you guys, I know it probably smells beautiful in, you, in here to you guys right now, but in the summertime, it's even more fragrant in here because more the barrels are more open and more of that angel share is allowed to escape. So... The way that this process works, in order to be considered a bourbon, you have to start out with a brand new American White Oak charred barrel. That's true for all bourbon. The one thing you can customize is the level of char. We use a level three char. It's a pretty low char. It's only on fire for about 35 to 40 seconds. Now, the reason why we char, of course, is to open up the grains, caramelize the sugars to release all those great flavors and tannins from the wood itself. That's how we flavor our bourbon. We're gonna get these barrels from a cooperage right down the road, Independent State. They hand make all these new barrels for us. They'll bring in the trees, chop them up into staves, which are the panels on the sides of the barrels. They'll lay the staves out in the sun to weather for a year and through at least one Kentucky summer to make sure the wood's not too green. After that, they actually put the barrels together by hand. It's a pretty amazing process. And then they feed into a machine that will literally shoot a tongue of fire into the middle of the barrel, catch it on fire for about 35 seconds, roll it down the line, spray it down, and it's good to go. Now those new barrels will come over to us and we're ready to introduce it to our moonshine. So I mentioned our moonshine comes off that second still at 130 proof. You guys will get to try that today. 
But in order to be legally considered a bourbon, it can't enter the barrel at anything higher than 125 proof. That means we're gonna have to cut it down, water it down. We actually chose to cut it all the way down to 110 proof because it helped with that more mellow flavor that we were looking for. We're gonna pump it full of the 110 proof and stick it at the top of our warehouse. Then over the years, we're gonna actually hand rotate down each level till it gets down here to the bottom floor. Since we rely on Mother Nature to age our bourbon forest, we don't use climate control in any of our warehouses. Each level is going to um, differ in temperature because heat rises. And so each level is gonna have a naturally different temperature fluctuation to it. If it stayed in one spot the whole time, the bourbon on the top floor would taste drastically different than the bourbon on the bottom floor. So in order to help with flavor consistency, each barrel spends the same amount of time on each floor. So by the time they get rotated down here, they're about five and a half to seven years old. At this point, we're going to start taste testing them. That's how we determine if our bourbon's ready to go or not. We don't put timestamps on our barrels. We can't do that because weather patterns fluctuate over the years. Sometimes we have hotter years, sometimes we have cooler years. If we harvest it at the same time every single time, the bourbon is going to be very inconsistent in flavor. But one thing that we can find consistent is the actual flavor itself. So we just have to wait till it gets to what we're looking for. Our team will taste test each and every barrel to see if it's ready to go or not. Like I said, anywhere from five to seven years, sometimes more, sometimes less, just depending on what's going on. Once it's been deemed fully matured, only then can we roll it off to bottling. It'll be mixed into a batch of 19 barrels to help with flavor consistency. It'll be filtered, cut down, and then bottled up right here on site, which you guys will get to see today. Now, do you guys have any questions about that? I do. Okay. I was gonna ask how many people are on this? Um, I actually don't know because it's not in my department, but one thing I do, there's only a handful of people, um, they're chemists, so there's like a lot of science that goes into it. It's not just, I mean, the human nose and the human, you know, tongue can determine a lot, but they also, also have different um, tools that they use to help out too when they might see something's off, but they can't determine what's off, but most of the time they can just, you know, taste it and be like, this one's good, this one's not, and then they might have to go from there, so. Mm -hmm. Do you ever get batches that never reach that flavor profile? It does happen. Um, we're pretty good at what we do now, so it's not <clears throat> a large amount, but it does happen here or there sometimes. Even though we quality inspect everything every step of the way, especially the barrels themselves, sometimes there might be an issue with the barrel, had wormholes, <laughs> different things that affected the flavor. Sometimes there might have been a bad batch of, you know, corn that we didn't catch for whatever reason. It might ruin the taste, but you normally catch that beforehand. So there could be different factors over the years, but most of the time we're pretty good at what we do now. We figured it out, so. Mm -hmm. Maddie, did you mention how old this rickhouse is? Is this the original rickhouse? Yes. Um, it was built in the 1800s. I don't have exact dates, but it's getting near 200 years now. Mm -hmm. So it's three levels tall, only holds 5,000 barrels. It's the original one that we're in right now. And our larger ones that have been built in more recent years hold 50,000 barrels each. So one fact that we're not super, super proud about here at Maker's Mark is we have run out of Maker's Mark year after year. It's very popular and we're having a hard time keeping up with demand. So we're in the process of building more and more warehouses. We're very efficient at making a lot of moonshine, but we just need places to put those moonshine, all that moonshine to make our bourbon. So as long as we have somewhere to put it, we can make more and more. So 40 warehouses right now with more under construction. 40. Yes, the full size 50,000 barrels. There are more barrels of bourbon aging in the state of Kentucky than there are people, and that is a true statistic. <laughs> wow. mm -hmm. 
Alrighty guys, so welcome to our cellar. Now before I get into that, just one important thing to know about Maker's Mark is we have one maturation process and one mash bill. That does not change. So if we want to change up the flavor a little bit, we got to do that later on in the process. I'll explain that in detail inside. So for 50 years, we were only making one product in our lineup, and that is our classic Maker's Mark. Now that all changed around 15 years ago when Bill Samuels Jr. had an idea to um, spice up the Maker's Mark flavor a little bit. As you guys know, Maker's Mark is a very sweet bourbon, not really known for its spiciness at all. Bill Jr. actually liked a spicy bourbon. Now, he wasn't going to forsake his father and add rye into our bourbon because that's a no-no for Maker's Mark. But he found by adding some new wood in um, to the um, barrel later on in the process, you could bring up some different notes out of that. So he developed Maker's 46. One important thing to know about developing Maker's 46 is it needs to be finished off. For, do I have something on me? No, right, that's a bee. The, the bee, bee likes you too. Yeah. <laughs> we're making sure that's sweet. <laughs> All right, so um, it needs to be finished for nine weeks in cool air. So for many years, we could only make Maker's 46 in the winter time because that was the only time our um, warehouses were cool enough to make it. But three years ago, we finally got around to building our cellar here. Cellar here. It's built right here in the hillside and it's kept at a constant 50 degrees or cooler in here year round. So in the summertime, it's a definitely a difference. But once we go in there, it's not going to feel too different to you guys because it's about that temperature out here right now. And we do keep it climate controlled in there. So we do have air conditioning running there in the summer, but in the wintertime, we're actually able to turn off the air conditioning altogether and this is where we make makers 46 as well as our new private select so let's get inside and see just how we do that awesome all right so i'm going to explain a little bit of the process of making makers 46 it's actually pretty simple so once we fully um actually deemed those barrels fully matured some of them will be rolled off to bottling some of those barrels will be redirected in here instead so some of the new barrels are actually coming in today they'll open the garage doors bring those barrels in place them here on the floor. We're going to temporarily pump out the bourbon through the bunghole, which is the walnut cork on the side. We pop it open, use the hose to um, hold, um, pump it out to hold that bourbon in the tank so it doesn't get splashed around. Then we're going to actually pry off the head of the barrel. We'll use a um, hammer and a chisel or a crowbar to remove the top two rings. That relieves the pressure just enough to be able to pull off the head of the barrel. So then you have a completely open barrel like these guys behind me. And then we're going to insert 10 of these seared French white oak staves into the center of the barrel. French oak actually has 20% more tannins in it than American white oak, so it just means a lot more flavor in there. The, we're actually going to lightly sear it in an infrared oven, so it's not going to be charred deeply like a barrel. It's just going to lightly caramelize the sugars on the outside of the um, wood to um, bring forward the flavor from it. So 10 of these will go in there, sit upright just like here in the sample barrels that you guys can see here. Then once those are put in there, we're going to seal the barrel back up, pump the bourbon back in, and roll it off into cold storage in the next room. And nine weeks later, you get a new bourbon baby. So what these staves do is they latch on to the flavors that are already present in Maker's Mark, and they bring certain notes forward. Specifically, this stave actually is going to bring forward a lot of the sweet and spicy notes. It's going to make it just more full-flavored. It's overall more robust, spicy rendition of that classic flavor. So it doesn't completely change it. It just enhances it for when you're wanting something with a little bit more of a kick. It also has a very long finish that I love. It's very oaky. I absolutely love this product. It is full of flavor. 
So after Bill was done, Bill Jr. was done making that batch, you know, and he was like, this is great. I love this. What do I call it? He actually went to the cooperage that sent us these staves. They cooked them up for us, did everything for us. And he said, what do you call the stave that you sent on over to me? And they said, Bill, that's just number 46 in our catalog. I hope that helps. Hence the name, Makers 46. It's just named after this piece of wood right here. It has a nice drink to it, though, doesn't it? So it starts out at cast strength, and then we do cut it down to 94 proof. So it's slightly higher in proof than the 90 proof that we do for our classic makers. Mark. All righty, guys. So up on the ricks, that's where we store makers 46. It doesn't matter which level they're on in here because it's consistently 50 degrees in here year-round. Um, but on the floor, we have something a little bit different. These are our new private select barrels. So Bill Jr. retired after 46. His son Rob took over. Rob Samuels really liked what Bill Jr. did with the 46 idea, and he decided to build off of it. So he went back to the cooperage, and he asked them to cook up four more staves that would bring out different notes within Maker's Mark. So by cooking wood in different ways, you can bring out different flavors, so you might use different heat techniques, etc. So they cooked up one that brings out creamy notes. We call it our cuvee stave. I'll explain that in detail in the tasting room. We have our vanilla stave, our spice stave that brings out spicy cinnamon and nutmeg notes. We have our mocha stave that brings out dark chocolate notes. And then lastly, for our fifth stave, is just our classic Maker's 46 stave. So now um, Rob actually invites people of the trade, people that are close to us, to come here and make their own single batch of Maker's Mark. They're going to actually be doing it right now. They're going to go into the room behind you guys. They're going to taste test the liquid form of each stave. Then they're going to play with mixing and matching the different flavors together to get their own unique blend. There's a thousand and one unique combinations you get out of that. After they determine which combination of 10 staves they want, the staves will go into the barrel using the same process as 46. And nine weeks later, you have your own unique flavor. And then they can sell those 250 bottles they get out of one barrel however they want. But once they're gone, they are gone. So if you're ever lucky enough to come across Private Select out in the wild, I would suggest try it because that will probably be your only chance to ever try that one unique flavor. Get excited because we have one of those unique flavors for you guys to try today. So do you guys have any questions about that? All right, so that beautiful wall back there. That just came with the property when we blasted into the hillside there. We found that beautiful limestone wall, and that actually feeds into the lake that's behind the wall. So we just built all the other three walls around it. So now that you guys have got a little peek in here, you guys can follow me out. We're going to head off to bottling. This is our bottling line. This is where every single drop of Maker's Mark is bottled up. There are no other facilities. Like I said, it's all done from start to finish here. So we have two lines, one in the front, then another one behind the wall in the back. They bottle up the same. So we're gonna bottle Monday through Friday, and you guys are lucky because we're actually bottling up right now. We only bottle for short bursts throughout the day, so you're lucky that they're doing it there right now. So before we get in, I'm gonna tell you guys a little bit of what the machines are doing so you can understand them a little bit better. The first one's gonna sanitize the bottles. I love that machine because we use Maker's Mark to sanitize our bottles. You know, why purchase sanitizer when we have plenty of alcohol to go around? So the next machine is actually going to fill it up with fresh Maker's Mark. The next one will add on the cap. The very last one's going to slap on the label, the government seal on the back, and the little pool tab you use to get out of the wax. And then the rest is done by hand. So it'll be fed onto the conveyor belt where it will be hand dipped by one of our staff. And that is not a gimmick. It's all done here using Margie's technique. So let's get in there and see how we do it. 
After bottling, we went into the tasting, which you have to be at the distillery to experience. As we were exiting, Maddie pointed out what we might have missed. I'm sure you've already noticed, but we have this beautiful glass blown sculpture. It was made by Dale Chihuly. Chihuly is a world-renowned glass blower. He's done installations all over the world. Pretty famous guy, stationed out Seattle, Washington. Um, he did the sailing Bellagio in Las Vegas. If you've heard of that, mm, so we're pretty beautiful. lucky that he came here to help us celebrate our 60th anniversary and left us with this beautiful but expensive parting gift. <laughs> so the red trailing through it to symbolize our red wax strips. The blue represents our limestone lake. The yellow represents the corn, the green represents the small grains, the, the soft red winter wheat, and the malted barley. The amber color, of course, represents our bourbon. And then hiding throughout, we have four cherubs as guardians of the angel share. So thank you guys so much for coming out here. I hope you guys had a great time. Hopefully learned something new. If you have any other questions, I'll be hanging out in the back of the gift shop. And now you guys can dip your own bottles if you want. So have a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks so much to everyone at Makers Mark and Kentucky Tourism who arranged the tour. Needless to say, I bought my very own bottle of Maker's Mark Private Select that you can only get there. Plus a few Maker's Mark cherries to go into our cocktail of the week. Can you guess what that might be? Of course, our cocktail of the week has to be the one iconic bourbon recipe we haven't had on the show. The Manhattan. Made, of course, with Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark 46, to be exact. All you need are four simple ingredients. Bourbon, sweet vermouth, bitters, and a cherry. Start with two parts Maker's Mark 46 bourbon in a mixing glass filled with ice. Add one part sweet vermouth, then two dashes of Angostura bitters. Stir and then strain into a chilled cocktail glass neat or on the rocks. Then finish it off with a cherry, a Maker's Mark cherry if you have one. As always, you'll find this recipe and all the cocktails of the week on alushlifemanual.com, where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop. Again, Remember to head to alushlifemanual.com where you'll find photos of all the places that Maddie described. Then go ahead and order a Manhattan t-shirt from the Lush Life Merch Cocktail Collection. Next time we'll be heading into the English countryside where our guest will introduce us to an award-winning gin. But only after we've heard his story. Until next time, bottoms up! Thanks for listening to the Lush Life Podcast. For more information and links to everything you've heard, plus a whole lot more, please visit alushlifemanual.com. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and always drink responsibly. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. Lush Life is produced by Evo Terra. And I'm your drinking partner, Susan Schwartz. I'll see you at the bar. <laughs>